Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. All right, we are live. Kristen Rainey, welcome to the Black Diamond Podcast. Really excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So sleep, we're going to get into that. I mean, that's uh, that's a hot topic nowadays. I mean, the uh, health issues that people have from lack of sleep, I feel like are really starting to become um, common talking points, right? For for a lot of, you know, you just dinner conversations or amongst friends. And, and, uh, there's a reason too, is because people just aren't sleeping as well. And I'm really interested in, I have my own theories about that. Uh, but obviously you've engulfed yourself in that world. So, uh, really excited to get your insights on it. And also always a pleasure to talk to a fellow Montanan, uh, as well. So I guess what we'll start with Kristen is if you don't mind, just give us a little bit of your background. I mean, I know it's, it's vast. You've worked in sustainability and now you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur in this, in the area of sleep. It's a, it's a pretty cool journey. Yeah. I, I spent the early part of my career, um, living abroad, doing a number of different things. I wouldn't say it was exactly a linear path, but I was just following my interests and, um, spent the first year after college teaching English in Indonesia and through hike the Appalachian trail and, um, went to grad school, um, got an MBA and also got a master's in international affairs. So that was actually a big chunk of like five years time. And through all of that, um, you know, one of the common threads was, was, was food and the environment. And I've always been very interested in sustainability. And, um, the more I learned about food, the more I realized how much, um, our food choices really matter. So after doing a lot of different things and living in a lot of different places, um, I ended up getting a little more focused when I was in grad school. And when I left, I ended up uh, working in sustainable food, uh, first at Sodexo, a large food services company, and then for the last six years at Google, um, where we had a number of cafes around the world at our offices for our employees. Um, and yeah, sorry, I'm losing. I lost my train of thought there. Um, what was your question? Again? Yeah, the, uh, the path that you went through Google and sustainability. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and while I, while I was at Google for, for six years, we, there's a lot of focus on, you know, how to help Google employees make better food choices. Um, you know, whether that was in, you know, eating less red meat and more plant forward diets, or whether that was reducing their, uh, packaging and trying to, you know, consume more products by using like a, you know, a water bottle instead of single serve water or, um, whether that was bulk snacks instead of individually packaged snacks. There were a lot of different things that I had a chance to work on there. So food and sustainability has been a common thread throughout my past. And 
you know, during the time that I was at Google, I started to get more and more interested in sleep, largely as I was realizing how little I was getting and how much of a toll that was taking on my own health. So it's been a bit of a pivot from health of the planet to health of the individual, but there are a lot of common threads there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so walk me through maybe the point in time when you said, okay, I'm, I'm really finding sleep to be an interesting topic and I want to turn it into a business. Like this is what I want to do. Like that's a big leap from going from a particular area of interest, right? To actually going all in. And now, I mean, you've got a, a great podcast. Uh, you've done, you know, something like, I think close to a hundred episodes, right? If not more, I don't know. Um, but you've done a lot of, of episodes. You've really devoted yourself quickly and dove right into this. Uh, when did that full level of commitment come and what was kind of that, that impetus and thought process? Yeah. in in 2019 was really my, my, my last of my six years at Google. And I, I started having all, a whole slew of health related problems, um, that were really burnout related. Um, you know, I was on the road, um, quite a lot internationally for my job and that was really stimulating and I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, but it was also really, it really took a toll to be, you know, in the wrong time zone all the time. I was just sort of constantly recovering. And, um, you know, I, I was also just working really hard and just had way too much on my plate. A lot of the projects were super interesting, but, you know, it's, it's very hard to say no, and it's hard to say no there. And um, there was no way I could accomplish what I needed to get done every day. So every day was sort of this massive laundry list and trying to prioritize and what to say no to. Um, so I was basically overworked and also just my, you know, immune system was massively down from being in the wrong times and all the time. And then I, um, I found out I had a recurrence of mono from high school. Um, and I had adrenal fatigue and when it really became clear was when in my free time, I couldn't do all the outdoor activities that I was used to doing. So it wasn't atypical for me to come home from an international work trip, you know, get back from Dublin, you know, which was, you know, nine hours ahead of where I was living in Portland, White Salmon area at the time. And then go for like a, an 80 mile bike ride and like clear my head and like sort of get back on track. That was very normal for me. And what I found is I just felt like I'd been run over by a truck and it wasn't like a three day flu. It was like it kept lasting, you know, a lot longer than I understood. So I started doing a whole bunch of tests and meeting with a bunch of doctors, naturopaths and others, and basically found out that, yeah, I needed to take a massive break. And so during that journey of having all these health problems myself, I started learning more about sleep. And the more I learned about it, I thought, gosh, this is absolutely insane. We spend so much time talking about fitness and diet. Why are we not addressing this? Because it's the root of so many things. It's the root, of, you know, getting good sleep is the root of good workouts. Getting good sleep is the root of good food choices. It's the root of high productivity, good moods, it's sort of being resilient, all these things, you know, learning new things, all these things came back to sleep. And so for me, it was such a no brainer. And I thought, wow, you know, this is something I want to start focusing on. And so my first step was I developed a 90 minute crash course at Google in all my non-existent spare time, I developed this course. And then when I'd go to other offices for my day job on the food team, I would actually go a day early and teach this 90 minute class. And it was very exciting to be teaching this material to other Google employees. And I thought, God, if I could get Google employees to sleep consistently seven hours a night, what an amazing boon that would be, what an obvious ROI it is, uh, and how many health-related issues would be lower and how productivity would be even higher. 
Um, so that was my first step. And then eventually I left Google altogether in January 2020. I moved to Bozeman and I launched North Star Sleep School. And um, now I'm focusing on it for full time. It's this, the topic of sleep, like I alluded to in the, the short introduction, it's pervasive in conversation. I mean, I, I was, uh, it, it used to be this like badge of honor, like, well, I only need four hours of sleep, right? I'm a hard charger. I, you know, I'm genetically, I don't need that much sleep. It's all BS, right? We all need sleep. And if I think people, I mean, I'm 45 now. I know <laughs> I, I think I may have told a story on your podcast that we recorded recently, but you know, like last night I didn't sleep well. The night before I didn't sleep well. Three nights ago, uh, I got 10 hours of really solid sleep on a Friday night. And the next morning it was a powder day and here in Montana. And I was, so first of all, just best, best of moods, right? My wife's even like, wow, you're in like a really good mood. Like I got up and made breakfast burritos on the chairlift. I was like hooting at people who are hitting jumps. Like I was just talking to everybody on the chairlift. I was a completely different person. And, uh, you know, and that, that always reminds me of like, it's, it's sleep is a superpower. It's like the ultimate and being in the, the fitness and health profession too, for so long is that I, I, I everybody, you know, I, I call it the coach's journey, but so many great people have gone through these massive educations. And at the end of the day, they're like, you know what, we just need to get more sleep. And, uh, it's, so it's, it's, I'm glad it's coming to the forefront we're kind of getting over the stigma of like, well, if I sleep less, that means I'm a hard at work. It's like this, you know, badge of busy and this certificate of suffering as a friend, Max Shane calls it. Um, but what, uh, you know, let, let's get into, to sleep. Like what do most people not know about sleep? Start there. Uh, one thing they don't know is how important consistency is in terms of schedule. So most people, um, have a schedule during the week. They might go to bed at like 11 o'clock at night, get up at seven for their, for their job. And then on the weekends, Friday night comes along and they stay out till one or two in the morning and then sleep in. Um, and then, you know, after doing that on Friday night and Saturday night on Sunday night, they experience something called social jet lag and they can't fall asleep because their body has now shifted. And now they think it's, you know, not time for bed yet because they think it's Saturday or Friday night. Um, and then Monday morning is brutal and they wake up and they feel like they've been run over by a truck. So one of the most significant things people can do, which is not easy, don't get me wrong, but going to bed and getting up at roughly the same time, seven days a week is one of the most important things that you can do. So most people don't do that or don't know that or don't want to do that. Hmm. What's the differential there? Like, <clears throat> what, like what's the window? And, and what I mean by that is like most nights I'll be asleep by nine 30 or 10 on a Friday or Saturday. I might go crazy and I might, you know, watch a movie and stay up till 11. Like how much leniency, I know it probably depends on each individual, but when you kind of say generally, like how much leniency in those times do, do you want to see people have? I'd say the less, the better, but I'd say no more than like an hour differential. Um, because basically what your body thinks is that you've traveled to another time zone, um, by, you know, shifting a full hour. Um, so the less, the better, but then again, it's like, there's also something to be said about not being robots. And I sometimes can get so obsessed with all of this and looking at my sleep data every morning and, you know, <laughs> you know, not having a beer that I want to have just because I know it's going to ruin my sleep the next night. I mean, I, I think that there's something to be said also about like living our lives and enjoying ourselves too. So I think for the most part, the more you can stick to a schedule, great, but there's going to be times where, yeah, I mean, 
go have fun as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, go see that live music. I'm always so bummed. I mean, it's something that started in my 40s. I'm like, why does live music start so late? I feel so old. Oh, I couldn't agree I with you that. more. Like, <laughs> uh, so uh, consistency is huge. Mm-hmm. What else? What other things you do you commonly talk to people about? Um, are getting off of our gadgets late at night. So the issue of light is really important in both directions. So getting you know natural light, getting outside first thing in the morning, and actually having light on our eyeballs even for just ten minutes is really important. And then similarly in the evenings getting off of all of our devices. And so I think now, you know, so many people have smartphones and iPads and tablets and, you know, or their television, their computer, or they're working late, or they're playing video games late, or they're watching movies late. All of those things are keeping us amped up and delaying the onset of melatonin. That that blue light from our devices is specifically um, delaying the onset of melatonin, our sleep hormone, which mm-hmm. we need to feel sleepy. So you know, you can think about it when we go camping, for those of us who like to go camping, you know, generally we're really tired and ready to get into our sleeping bags as soon as it's dark out. And that's really our body being in tune with the natural cycle of light and dark. And in our indoor environments with all of our gadgets and our bright overhead lights and all our LEDs and everything, our bodies get really confused. And the more we can really pay attention to that and start you know, dimming the lights in our house, even switching the candles in the evenings, and really having a, um, a timeline of when you get off your devices. I know that I'm personally very sensitive to all this. So if I'm actually watching a movie in the evening, I wear blue blocker glasses um, because otherwise I am completely amped up and can't fall asleep. I'm sort of in that tired and wired mode. So light's really critical. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I'm I'm realizing that I'm so guilty of that. Like last night I, I got home from an event. And, uh, you know, I was still kind of amped because, you know, I had uh, an in-person event here in, in Whitefish and then, you know, went out to dinner afterwards and I came home and I was like, uh, just re-scrolling, just scrolling like everyone does. And, you know, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't sleep well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much to it. And then there's also temperature, right? Like how you keep your, how you regulate your body temperature. I mean, I know some people, we've talked about this, you know, cold water exposure too. Some people like to do that before they go to bed. I like to do it in the morning. Um, but keeping the room in a certain temperature, uh, you know, I like it cold. My wife wants it, you know, at 68. So there's constant kind of battle over the temperature gauge, but, uh, you know, give us, give us some insight into what, what role does body temperature have in, in good sleep? Well, most people's bedroom is too warm. Um, and so the, the range, everyone's, feel, everyone's different, but the range is between 60 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit is the range that we should be going for. So keeping your bedroom mm. on the cooler side is important. And what's happening is is when our bodies shift from being awake to asleep, um, it act, our body temperature drops two degrees. And um, so basically there's other tricks we can use to try to help that, you know, to facilitate that two degree drop. Um, one is that we can um, use uh, cooling mattress pads. Um, mm. There's a number of different products out there on the market. Um, and and you can set the temperature and use your phone to, to, to basically change the temperature and have it drop. So for example, I have my mattress pad drop um, a couple degrees around 945, which is Uh, Believe it or not, when I try to be asleep, it doesn't always work out that way for sure, especially this last few days as we've changed time. 
uh, with daylight savings. Um, but keeping your bedroom cool is, is, is great and using blankets to, you know, to sort of fine tune that, but generally keeping your bedroom cooler. Um, saunas and hot tubs or hot showers can actually be a great thing to do in the evening um, after dinner. And basically what happens is counterintuitively being in that, um, you know, warmer environment is actually, um, you know, pulling, pulling blood um, from our core and actually uh, in the end drops our uh, core temperature unexpectedly. I know it seems counterintuitive, but after you get out of that shower or that yeah. hot tub. So that's something that's great to do in the evening. I'm a big fan of cold water therapy, as we talked about the other day. I think doing that earlier in the day uh, is a, is a good good technique, and then doing a you know warm shower or hot tub or sauna if you have the opportunity to do that in the evening is a great way to uh, prepare your body for bed. What are uh, what are some of the repercussions of not getting good sleep? Uh, I mean, you mentioned your personal experience, but in I guess this is a two part question actually. What are the repercussions and how pervasive do you think bad sleep is in our society nowadays in, in like the modern United States? Yeah, the the the, the uh, health implications are endless. I'll, I'll, I'll share a few. Um, I will also say that I think more people sleep poorly than sleep well uh, in the U.S. It's just, um, as you mentioned earlier, it's really not um, something that most people prioritize. We all... Um, have a lot of interests and either we're working too much or we're having too much fun or both. Um, but I think most people are not making sleep a huge priority. Um, as far as impacts, there are so many. So one is our eating habits change. So um, not sleeping enough messes with our hormones, um, ghrelin and leptin. And if you are well slept, your hormones help you regulate whether you're hungry or not. And when you haven't slept enough, uh, those get out of whack and you basically feel hungrier than you are and you tend to crave unhealthy things. So I think many of us are familiar with how we feel when we're jet lagged, for example. And, you know, I personally choose things to eat like chocolate croissants and things or donuts that I would never normally eat when I'm well rested. But when I'm, you know, traveling, I had a, you know, a red eye flight, I feel horrible, and my body is just really uh, craving that unhealthy food. Um, so our eating habits change, um, our workouts are different. You know, the, the time that it takes us to get to physical exhaustion is much lower. Um, even our ability to sweat is impaired when we haven't gotten enough sleep. Um, our ability to learn is impacted. So let's say we spend like all day or all evening studying for an exam or trying to learn a new language or trying to learn an instrument, and then we don't sleep well that following night after learning, it basically negates all that hard work. And so, you know, the joke's sort of on us for those of us who pulled all-nighters in college and grad school because we really would have been better off just going to bed. So there's enormous impacts on, you know, on learning, um, on our, our physical performance, um, on our eating habits. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll just point out, uh, there are many more issues, but the issue of sort of emotional resilience is also really interesting and really important. So if we don't sleep well, our body loses the ability to really process those challenging day, you know, moments from the day before, whether it was like, you know, tough meeting at work or tough meeting with your partner or whatever. If you don't sleep well, you don't process all of that. 
Um, it's one of the more, really interesting parts of sleep. And that means that the next day we're sort of still stewing on that. So that ability to sleep well and then sort of have an emotional reset the next day is also a really important function of sleep and something that, um, you know, I can't, can't uh, emphasize enough. So that brings up an interesting question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to other people about this, so I know it's not just me. But sometimes, like, I'm one of the people who awake between two and four, right? And then I'll have a little bit of a hard time getting back to sleep. And I know there's a lot of us out there. And I think there's all these theories about second sleep, and maybe that's what we're meant to do and all that, whatever. Um, but what, when I wake up at that time, if my mind starts running, <clears throat> the whole world is falling apart, right? Like, everything's <laughs> negative. Like, if the worst possible scenario for every possible outcome comes into play. Now, if I go back to sleep and I wake up four hours later, everything's fine, right? What is it about that point in time in the night where it makes everything look so destitute? Why it's like you're always looking at things so negatively and in an anxious way? Because I know it's not just me because I've talked to other people about this. So what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I mean, I think that, that the waking up in the middle of the night and knowing that this has happened multiple times and knowing that you struggle with getting back to sleep, I feel like it sort of perpetuates itself. It's like the self-fulfilling prophecy of anxiety. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, it is common. And I think, um, you know, keeping, you know, sometimes people just sort of stare at your, your alarm clock and that can actually, you know, make it even more difficult. You start worrying about the next day's events and how horrible you're going to feel if you don't get back to sleep. I mean, I think there's just a number of tools that you can try, you know, box breathing is one. I'm sure you've, you've, you've done that for any listeners who are not familiar with that. It's basically inhaling for four seconds, holding for four seconds, exhaling for four seconds and holding for four seconds and kind of repeating that cycle. And box breathing can be something that can really help with um, calming you down. An another thing that, that people have tried that's really, sounds really ridiculous, but if you're lying in bed at two in the morning or three in the morning or four in the morning, whenever it is, is repeating the word the to yourself incessantly. And that sounds just so absurd, but it, it's, it basically is so boring and it, it, it is hard to actually focus on all those other stressful or negative things that are going through your mind. If you do that. Um, right. so box breathing is one technique saying the repeatedly is another I'd also be really careful if you do get up and use the restroom, don't turn on all the overhead lights. Be really, really mindful of, I try to actually turn none on. I mean, you don't want to hurt yourself and, and trip and, and then, you know, blame Kristen for that. But really try to keep the, the, the lights down or off altogether or use like a, a night light or something um, so that you can try to get back to sleep as quickly as possible. Yeah, and that's that seems to be a common thing. I mean, I know a lot of people, a good friend and colleague of mine, uh, you know, has had tremendously hard sleep issues for a, almost a year now where it's, you know, waking up at 2am can't go back to bed. Right. Cause and, and, and you're right. It perpetuates a cycle of anxiety. Like you go to bed and you're thinking, God, I hope I don't wake up at two. And then maybe if you do wake up at two, you're like, Oh my God, it's happening again. Right. And then you can't get back to sleep. It just makes it worse and worse and worse. So I guess when you look at that, you know, um, which is, I believe, I would presume is very common, right, nowadays? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot of you... people are having all kinds of sleep challenges, for sure. 
Yeah. How do you break those cycles? I mean, you know, you gave us some tactics, I guess, but as like, mm-hmm. as a long-term strategy is just implementing everything that you have as like a, a series of like trial and error, like, Hey, we're going to try this. Is it, is it like changing nutrition? Like you kind of eliminate things and you add them back in. Like, is that, is that the, the process of this? Yeah, I'm a big fan of of using data and I'm a big fan of trying different things. So when I work with clients, we use the Aura, O-U-R-A, sleep sleep ring, which is, I think, the gold standard in sleep tracking. There's a lot of trackers out there, of course. Um, But I'm a big fan of looking looking at the data every morning of how you slept the night before and supplementing that with a sheet where you're keeping track every day of all your behaviors from the day before. So for example, how late did you eat dinner? Um, did you have any alcohol yesterday? If so, what kind and when, how much, um, did you have caffeine yesterday? When did you cut yourself off? Did you get exercise yesterday? Was it outside? And, you know, looking at behaviors like this from the day before and making tweaks and learning more about yourself, because I think we're all different. And the reason one person's waking up at 2am is likely different from why somebody else is waking up at 2am. And so I think the only way to really get to the bottom of what your issues are is by really keeping track and seeing what's working. When you have that amazing, you know, 10 hour sleep that you mentioned the other day, what were all the factors that led to that? You know, what, what did you do the day before? And similarly, when you have a horrible night of sleep, figuring out why I know for me that like, I can't have an IPA at 10 PM anymore. Like no way. It just absolutely destroys my sleep. Um, better for me to actually not have alcohol at all, unfortunately. But if I'm going to have alcohol, it's better for me to have it at five at happy hour and not have a nightcap after dinner. So these are things that I've learned about myself. Um, Also, just everyone's very different with caffeine. And, you know, caffeine has a very long half life. And so it's still in our bodies for, you know, five to seven hours after we consume it. So thinking about your own body and thinking about what works for you. So yeah, I think it is a lot of trial and error. And a lot of people don't have the patience for that. But I think there's so many things we can do that are within our control before having to resort to, you know, Ambien and other sleeping pills. Yeah, is um, and, and nicotine as well, right? That's another big one for people uh, to, to avoid later in the evenings. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the, you brought it up. So I like to get into it a little bit, the pharma industry and their involvement in sleep. Um, you know, I think everybody has either experienced or knows someone has experienced, uh, you know, a weird Ambien, like something that went wrong with Ambien. Uh, my brother was addicted to it for a while, years. And, you know, the strangest stories of him waking up in the middle of the night and, you know, making sandwiches and eating them and not remembering anything and leaving everything out on the, the you know, the, the table. And everyone's like, well, where did this come from? Who was in the house last night? And, you know, all those, those strange stories of, of that, and, you know, pharma industry has always um, come in and offered easy solutions to our problems. And, <clears throat> you know, is there in it, but it's, it's not always, you know, um, that clear cut, right. With, with how pharma works. I mean, is there benefits to some of the pharma uh, solutions to sleep or do you just kind of steer people away from it altogether? I mean, there, there are people who, who, you know, truly have, um, you know, an inability to sleep and it's, it's very debilitating. And for them being able to take a sleeping pill might be saving their life. But I think a goal of long-term getting off of those as soon as possible with, you know, in consultation with your doctor is so important. 
you know, I've worked with clients who've been on Ambien for years and their sleep data is super interesting. It's like, yeah, they have no problem falling asleep. Um, those sleeping pills do a great job of helping with that. However, they don't get any deep sleep. They don't get any deep restorative sleep. And that is very scary to me. We need to have um, deep sleep every single night. And um, I think that there, I think it's, it's an easy fix to just take a pill. I mean, this is true for sleep. It's true for so many other health issues. And, you know, it takes work to dial in all the other behaviors in your day, but I think it's really worth trying those first um, before resorting to sleeping pills. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I want to kind of circle back into technology too, because, you know, mentioned aura and tracking sleep. Um, I have a Garmin, I track, you know, it just automatically does it because it's my watch. So I, I will check my sleep. But I, I usually have a pretty good idea of what's going on either way. The accuracy of wearables and the technology around sleep. Uh, like I, mine will show that almost every night I have very little deep sleep, you know, in the first couple hours. Um, but I don't believe that to be true. I don't think it's that accurate. So I don't know, when you're looking at the, the technology of sleep nowadays um, and the tracking and maybe any other technologies you like to bring up that you think we should be aware of, but how well, how is the accuracy doing on those, do you, do you think? Yeah, so overall, all of the sleep trackers are, are much more accurate as far as measuring whether you're awake or whether you're asleep as compared to um, distinguishing between phases of sleep light sleep, deep sleep, and REM, rapid eye movement. Um, so they're all better at, at just being able to determine, like, actually, were you awake and were you asleep? However, the ones that are currently deemed most accurate um, for everything, just as far as sleep trackers, um, Aura and Fitbit are at the very top of the heap. I just read a pretty interesting white paper about that, which was also saying that, you know, one of the great things about this is the fact that now that these are pretty accurate, that you know, sleep studies can actually happen in people's homes and get, you know, people can get great data as opposed to having to insist that somebody get hooked up at an actual sleep center, um, which of course creates all kinds of other variables of people just not sleeping well because they're not in their own bed and they're in this weird, you know, environment. So I think that the, the, the increased accuracy over time of these wearables is actually a huge, you know, a huge positive for the ability for us to be um, learning new things about people's sleep and being able to actually use these at home. Is there um, <clears throat> any other technologies that that you have your eye on, or maybe you're integrating into your practice, like uh, glucose monitoring or you know heart rate variability? Kind of comes along with Aura and um, many of these other wearables. But what other data and what other devices and tech are you are you looking at? So yeah, heart heart rate variability is super interesting. And I, I do see that in my, um, you know, in my aura data every morning when I get my sleep score and my readiness score and my activity score. And this is sort of a, a fascinating, you know, sort of can of worms for me looking at HRV. Um, I know that um, it is a sign of, you know, how well I'm, I'm adjusting to stressors, whether it's my workouts or whether it's stress in my, in my mind. Um, and that a higher HRV is, is really showing me that my body is responding well to stress, but it's not always obvious to me why my HRV is not recovering. So that's something I've been just personally digging into and, and trying to learn more about. Um, 
I guess as far as other technology, I haven't used glucose monitors. I think that's super interesting. I think sort of just sort of the connection also of just what we're eating and when is super interesting. And I've found both for myself and with clients that eating dinner earlier has been a huge win. Um, you know, smaller dinner and also just eating earlier and just cutting yourself off in the evening and not having brownie, sugar, bowl of ice cream, things that are just really not healthy, period, but also just not healthy, especially in the evening for sleep. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of interesting um, a lot of interesting opportunities with technology. And I think that the temperature issue and, and you know, cooling mattress pads are pretty interesting. I use an Uller. I know there's also Eight Sleep is another competitor that has really interesting technology that provides a cooling mattress on your bed. I think especially for people who live in warm climates, I think the um, opportunity to keep your bed and your bedroom cooler is a huge, huge, huge opportunity. Yeah, it is. Our neighbors have an Uller and they swear by it. Um, they even, uh, I think they even pack it up and travel with it when they go. Places. Oh, really? Like that's how devoted wow. they are to it. That's yeah, commitment. yeah. The uh, the 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 cover, right? There's like a cover that mm-hmm. it has. Um, but those are expensive, and I I hope the price starts yeah. going down on those because I do believe on them. Uh, I yeah. think they're great, but it's you know it's a hard, uh, you know, it's a hard bill to to take. Like I think they're you know somewhere around a thousand dollars, right, to to get the good ones. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what I pay. I think I paid a little less than that, but the the eight sleep is significantly more expensive than the Uller. Um, and hopefully, they are coming down in price. I mean, the 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 ones that are just you know that covers half the bed are obviously cheaper than the ones that cover the whole bed or have you know different temperatures for each side of the bed so that your partner can sleep at one temperature and you at another. Those are obviously more expensive. Um, I think you know a cheap fix. Obviously, everyone's climate is different, but a cheap way to to address this is simply just put your thermostat down at night and, you know, try putting it at 60 degrees and use blankets to sort of adjust and fine tune. But, um, you know, trying to do, you know, I feel like the Uller is more important for me in the summertime when it's hot, whereas in the winter I can make other adjustments. I can keep the bedroom really quite cold, uh, obviously because I live in Montana and it's cold in the winter. So I think that there's ways to kind of deal with temperature without having to spend money on a mattress pad. But I think for people, especially who live in warm climates, I think it is, um, an investment that's, that can, that can be pretty helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to make sure we touch on this too, because I'm very curious about it, but the business of sleep, right? Like you are a sleep coach and you have the sleep Institute, right? The North star, um, sleep Institute would all be in the show notes. The, that, that must be evolving nowadays. Like what does that look like currently? And I, I can imagine that as, the objectivity of it, the data starts coming in and we have more tools and and people become more aware of it. And, um, you know, what a benefit it is to not only, you know, their day-to-day life, but their longevity and uh, all of that, you know, what, what do you see as the current state of the business of sleep? And then where do you see it going? Yeah, I I started North Star Sleep School at the beginning of the pandemic, um, which is of course an interesting time to be starting a business. I think on the one hand, a lot of people were really struggling with their sleep during COVID and a lot of people, you know, due to anxiety and stress and uncertainty of the world and their health and politics, all kinds of things. Um, but, and people were, a lot of people were more willing to try zoom and learn things over zoom or, you know, other types of learning over the internet. Um, things that I was used to doing in my normal job, but 
that a lot of people had never done before. So I think that those two things seemed like, wow, what 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 a perfect time to be starting a sleep school. But I think now, you know, a couple years into the pandemic, as we're sort of slowly creeping out of it, I think those people are still struggling with their sleep, but I think people are really tired of being on screens, understandably. Um, and so I think the appetite for joining um, things online is less. Um, I think that people are, you know, really craving time in person. And so I'm hoping as a business to be able to be offering more in-person workshops, both at companies, you know, retreats, different organizations, um, and to be able to actually spend time together in person, because I think people are really looking for that. And, you know, my sense is just right now that people are just really exhausted from being on screens so much. It is. And it's a weird type of exhaustion. You know, I, uh, I'm, I, my wife and I went remote virtual back in 2017. And so I've taken, I've gotten a little bit more time, I think, to kind of get used to this. Uh, but I have to say at the end of the day, like when you're on a ton of meetings, you're, you're very focused on the screen and the person, like you, you don't get all the other cues, right? Like if I'm in a room with you, Kristen, I can, I can look down on my, my pad of paper or I can look out the window and you know, I'm still listening cause you can pick up on the social cues. Right. But I can kind of like let my mind drift in anything. But when you're on zoom, like you have to be looking at the people, let them know that you're engaged. And by the end of the day, it's this weird tired, right? It's a very unusual tire. It's like, you know, physically I feel tired, but I kind of have this anxious energy, but I need to get out and do something, but I don't know the motive because I'm so my mentally tired. Um, you know, we're, what, how, do you see the same thing with your clients as well? Like, is that, is that just me or is that a, a real thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, intimately familiar with, with zoom fatigue because I, most of my six years at Google, I was working remotely. And so long before COVID, my typical day would be, um, being going from, you know, from, from Google meet uh, video call to Google meet video call. And maybe if I'm lucky having like 30 seconds in between to go pee and get coffee and, 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 and prepare for the next meeting. But like, they're never, they were yeah. generally back to back and it was very, very hard, um, to, to not, you know, get exhausted from that. So I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are struggling with that and, um, it, it makes sense. I mean, I think it's a great tool and I feel very fortunate these, this video technology exists for all of us, whether it's COVID or not COVID, it's just a great tool so that we can live where we want to live and be able to communicate and have, you know, have interviews like this when we're not sitting in the same room. I think it's great, but I think there is a tool. And I think, you know, taking breaks, standing up, getting outside and getting natural light and just taking breaks, I think is super, super important, especially when we're on these video calls so much of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so real quick on the business thing, I'm curious too. So are you primarily focusing on, like, are you focusing on individual, like, you know, I guess the consumer market, as they would say in, in business speak, or are you looking at like the B2B corporate, like where, where are you finding the most uh, interest and leverage and ability to, to do good work? The latter, I think B two B is 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 the, the opportunity. I didn't I didn't realize this at the beginning when I started. I think I just thought, oh, I'm going to just you know open these group courses online, and it'll be just sort of a a handful of people from from different parts of the world connecting at the same time. But actually, um, you know, I think connecting with organizations and um, making these courses and offering for their employees is actually um, 
the better route. And I think it's a great team building activity too. It's, you know, being able to take, you know, my, my flagship course is a six week program where we meet for an hour a week um, and being able to have an opportunity to hear uh, your colleague, your, you know, fellow colleagues questions and things that they're struggling with can actually be a great learning tool. So while I do offer one-on-one um, courses, I actually think that there's a lot of benefit to group sessions as well. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And it's it's a unifying thing. Everybody sleeps, hopefully, right? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's a good common denominator. And I think it also helps people understand each other better. I mean, if you start to understand, um, you know, I was out to dinner last night with uh, an entrepreneur from Missoula and, you know, it, just organically, the, the conversation of sleep came around. She's like, I get nine hours all the time. Wow. She's like, I can do seven, but I hate it. And I can only do it for one or two days, six or seven. But she's like, and I was like, oh, that's just so interesting how these types of conversations are kind of organically coming up. Um, and it's like a bonding thing, right? It's like, oh, you know, when you talk about sleep, it's very personal, but not too personal, right? It's uh, it's an interesting uh, point of, of bonding. I can totally see that. You have a uh, you have a podcast and you've been doing that for a while. Um, as a fellow podcaster, I'm always curious, you know, um, Hey, like, I guess, why, why did you start a podcast? What, what was your motivation behind doing that? And what's it called? Let's plug that really quick. Yeah, my, my podcast is called North Star Unplugged, and it explores four themes. Rest is one. Unplugging is a second. Transitions is a third. And the fourth is finding what fuels you. And I initially started it because I wanted to be able to, you know, provide interesting content um, related to this world of rest. And for me, it wasn't so literal as talking to people about mattresses, although I did have a chance to interview the guy who invented the waterbed, which was pretty interesting. But I, I, I think that, you know, there are so many broader topics around how people recharge and how people go through big transitions in their lives that I think are really interesting that are not quite as granular as, you know, are you getting seven hours of sleep every night? So it was really a way to provide fresh content and to to get the word out about the sleep school. But it's really been so much more and it's been just really energizing to meet so many interesting people um, who are doing interesting things with their lives. It's really been um, really been a fun project. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I obviously I'm a huge fan of podcasting. I've been doing it now for five years very consistently. Uh, what are some of the unexpected benefits that you found from from starting this thing? Well, I've just met a lot of really interesting people. Um, and I've also just, it's also reminded me um, how much I'm a lifelong learner. And for me, it's been really, um, I mean, this is just going to reveal that I'm such a geek, but like I've interviewed a lot of authors and it's just, I love having my little assignment to go read their interesting book and then talk to them about it. I mean, it feels like <laughs> such a gift. I mean, it feels like sort of this one-on-one -on -one learning session. Um, so I've learned a ton about so many topics and um, yeah, there's just not enough hours in the day to get everyone on the show who I want and to read everyone's books and to prepare properly and all of that. But it's been, it's been really, um, a fun journey. Yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's a really fun journey and there's been so many unexpected benefits that I've found from it. And I, I, I think one of the big ones that when I pointed out people who do inter a lot of interviews found as well is like, for this 45 minutes that you and I are together, there's no phones, there's no distractions. It's just me listening to you, actually listening, like really listening, right? Um, and and being curious about what you're doing. And it's like, when 
and even though it's remotely, we're doing this over, uh, you know, a, a virtual recording studio, you know, when, how many times in, in our days does that happen anymore? You know, even, even with our, you know, families or people that we're with, or, you know, just everyone, like how often does that happen that for 45 minutes, we're just going to sit down we're going to chat about a particular topic. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. You're going to listen to what I have to say in return. And we're just going to focus on this relationship for 45 minutes. And I know that sounds ethereal, but it's true. It's like, it doesn't happen very often. Like I'm, I'm completely zoned in and that that's, that just doesn't happen that often. And do you, do you find a similar benefit? I do. And it, it also reinforces for me something I knew about myself that I would much prefer if I were given two choices of being at a large party and having 10 quick chats about the weather and what do you do and whatever versus being at an event and being able to sit down and talk with somebody for for 45 minutes or an hour, I would far prefer the latter and that deep dive and one-on-one time. And that's just personally how I, how I prefer interacting with people. So I feel like the format of podcasts and especially with the guest format of one-on-ones is just very suited to me and how I like to interact with other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. I encourage people to do it all the time. And, you know, from a, a pure business development standpoint, it's a great tool. Mm-hmm. It really is. You know, you get to, uh, have conversations with people that you may never have had access to in any other way. And, you know, I, I, how many episodes in are you now? I've recorded 86 and I think I've published, uh, I'm about to publish 81. Yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, I, I, there, there's so many people who I've helped start their podcasts, uh, especially in interview formats and, many times after like three or four, like, I don't know, I'm just not getting the traction I want. I'm like, well, you, nah, you, you got to commit to at least 50, a hundred is even better. <laughs> um, and then after that, then you start to learn, you know, a lot more because you got to see it as a process. Like I am on the future of fitness, which is my primary flagship one. I like, I, I don't want to go back and listen to my first 10. I really, I never do. <laughs> they were just learning processes. And to me, they're just chalking up to, okay, this is an investment. I'm going to keep putting money in the bank on this. And then, you know, now with, you know, t- for people who are listening, I think I have my futurist has 280 episodes out there and it's built so much steam organically. Like my downloads are just building and building and building because I have 280 episodes out there, right? That's 280 things that people can go back and listen. So every time someone finds my show, they may go back and download 20 episodes, right? So I encourage people, if you are going to go down that path, commit, like fully commit, and, and don't look back, you know, uh, just keep doing it. And I think that's, that's really important part of it. And, um, you know, you can be extremely stubborn and win at this game. You don't have to be the best interviewer. You don't have to be, have the great guess. Uh, you just have to be very stubborn and kind of win that, that battle of, uh, attrition, I guess that's my, that's my soapbox. Um, <clears throat> Kristen, I, I know we're running up on time. I want to kind of respect the clock here. Uh, give us some insights, like, uh, people want to reach out to you. Uh, people want to find you online. Um, where do they go? What do you, what do you want to tell them? Everything they can find at northstarsleepschool.com and northstarunplugged.com. And, uh, there's, um, a, a free 15 minute consult. If people have questions about sleep or questions about my courses, we can hop on a, a zoom call. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. And, um, also, would love to hear if people have ideas about the podcast or um, things they're looking for, or specific types of sleep support they need. I'd love to hear from you. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you, you, uh, I think you helped educate something on, educate people on things that are, are very common, but, you know, maybe not completely understood and, you know, the fundamentals are, are straightforward, you know, watch your light temperature, you know, uh, what you eat, what you drink, uh, all those things, you know, it's just the, uh, it's the fundamentals that are the most important. So anyway, thank you, Kristen. It's been really, uh, really interesting and I really love the work you're doing and, uh, yeah, just keep it up. Thanks, Eric. It's been great to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Rainey. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be, I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, make an introduction, whatever it may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast and you can expect a lot more from us.